I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. I've been looking forward to getting my buddy Kent on this uh, podcast since I started it. Kent's been actually a listener, kind of critiquing what we're doing, and uh, we we're just talking about that. He's got some great ideas and stuff. He's not he's, critiquing. I'm loving it. He's critiquing it and loving it. That's okay. And uh, you know, Q, I, you know, you looked, you listened a little bit to some of his past stuff and all that. Uh, what are you thinking, dude? Are we gonna, are we gonna go through this or what? He's, um, hey, listen, this is what I'm excited about. Like, he has a, he's gonna talk about his company for sure, but he definitely knows his stuff. He has a lot of, um, as I call, it's like a guru. He's a guru in his in his field, you know, a swami, and, uh, a swami. As, as you call it. Yeah. So, um, I'm just excited for the mindset that he's gonna give to us and and um, and some of the. Uh, opportunity like get ready for these nuggets you guys because he's going to come and lay it down on you all for real absolutely and you know and i i you know never really when i think of entrepreneurs i i don't you know I, my mind doesn't go to hollywood you know i don't think hollywood entrepreneurs I, you know just for me doesn't after meeting kent you know i don't know it was four three four years ago whatever, as we became friends and i realized boy there's some some serious entrepreneurship going on in that hollywood market and uh and this guy is, has been a part of a lot of it so it's uh it's it's I can't wait to to, to hear the story and, and let him tell it. So um, let's just not waste any time and get right to it. Here's our buddy Kent Demons from uh, Hollywood, California. No, you, please you, no. You, no Kent Demons from Mount Carmel, Illinois. I will <laughs> never claim Hollywood as home. Don't want any part of that one. Even though you've been there for two thirds of your life now, probably right. Uh, twenty three years. Oh, okay, yeah. about half. Yeah, yeah. I'm fifty four, so yeah, more than I need to. Right. Although you know, I've never really, I've never, I've always made sure that I've stayed out of California well uh, longer than I needed to to not have to become a resident. Uh, I have to pay, I have to pay right? taxes on income I re, that I uh, derive from California. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, I want no part of that mess. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> you've got some wonderful people out there with just a really, uh, really bad government, you know, a really bad uh, management. But uh, you've got some really, really great people out there, despite what you read. There, are, there so, are so it's nice to come home to Illinois where everything is run so perfectly and, and yes. our economy is so strong. <laughs> what our, it's, it's almost like it's following me. So I was raised in South Carolina. Illinois. I've been a Tennessee resident most of my adult life. Uh, but then, you know, I, I go to California. So Illinois, when I was raised here, it was just fabulous. I mean, it was a great booming state. You know, Big Jim was our governor. We had, you know, just everything going on. You had a great state legislature. You know, the House has always pretended here to, you know, to be more uh, democratic and stuff where the Senate years ago was pretty consistently Republican. So it was pretty, ba pretty balanced, yeah, balanced and low and debt. Low, yeah, debt, low, low debt, low taxation. I mean, low here's how bad it was. Remember, we bailed Chrysler out in the like in the was it the 70s or 80s or something like that. It was 1978 when mm -hmm. uh, when the with the state of Illinois didn't they loan them like six and six hundred million dollars to Chrysler or something? I know like I don't that. know a lot about the story, but I yeah. remember hearing about it. Yeah. Now yeah. look at the how how times have turned. Yeah. You know, Chrysler's making we, a few bucks, and uh, we might of need Chrysler like, to bail us out now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's great to be back here though, and the weather's great. Last time I was here was in January. And I remember uh, going out and twice, actually, I was 
here that one time for your birthday, long time, and, and, and that was that, January and April. That, that was in April, and I had to scrape ice off my car. I was yeah. here in J- the January before, <laughs> and it, I had to scrape ice off my car. So today, no ice. How about that? Huh? <laughs> what was it like? Johnny Carson would say, uh, "It was so cold here last time I was here that uh, I actually saw Dick Durbin with his hand in his own pocket." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! True story, Ed. True story. Ed. <laughs> Oh, so, you know, we, uh, we've got a guy that's got a voice for radio and, uh, you know, a face for, for Hollywood, actually. He, oh, God, I wish. Not only has he got a voice, he's a, he's a good-looking dude, right? You know There's not mean? enough Botox and, or hair transplants on this planet <laughs> to give me a face for Hollywood, I can tell you that. <laughs> Just connect with Erlacher. He can help you out. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Heck, Erlacher, me, man. I went, this, I went to the same place. <laughs> you did. Absolutely. You yeah. got the Botox going, too? Not Botox. Uh, I've stayed away from that so okay. far. <laughs> as you can see, as you can see, I've avoided that. Right? Still a good-looking man, right? But uh, no, I, so uh, when you think about but, uh, you, you know, usually we like to go into, you know, where it all started, Kent. So, uh, you know, we, we want to know more about, you know, what uh, what what uh, kind of childhood created this crazy dude that we know as Kent Demons today. You know what? So, I was uh, born and raised in Southern Illinois, a little town called Mount Carmel, where sure. I was at actually over the weekend. And it's a little town, it used to be, like a lot of Illinois, a very thriving town. It's right on the Indiana-Illinois border near Evansville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it's a big oil and gas area, a lot of agricultural, of course, and that kind of stuff. At the time, when Illinois could still employ people, when businesses here could employ people, you had we had Snap-on Tools was a big one. That's how our, my mom's side of the family ended up coming there is they... My grandfather worked in Kenosha, mm-hmm. and then uh, at, at their what, at their headquarters, and then was transferred when my mom was, I think, in high school, you know, freshman or something like that, in high school, uh, to Mount Carmel. And uh, so I was raised down there in this little tiny town. My dad uh, grew up, uh, and I, by the way, I was back there last weekend hanging out with my folks. They're just funny as can be. I mean, just hilarious. Coincidentally, by the way, Gary. Your dad and my dad have the exact same birthday, like same age and same. Oh, I birthday. remember that. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember celebrating but, one day, uh, talking to each other. Yeah. But grew up down there. My dad grew up working in a in his dad's gas station after World War II. They bought a gas station down there, and he grew up doing that. My dad ended up uh, 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 becoming really good friends with a guy that had that had started a bank down there, and that became his mentor. So he he grew up as a like me a mentor kid, like you, a mentor kid, where yeah. you didn't necessarily have the college education but you had the mentorship exactly and uh so he went to work uh you know from the gas station the guy said you know jack his name is jack and says you know jack you've got a great personality he said would you ever think about working at the bank well i don't know maybe <laughs> so he came up and started working at the bank and uh, became ceo at a re- pretty young age and wow. ended up running the bank i think they sold it in 1989 but you know as a small town banker uh, he always had a big vision, and they grew it actually to be the largest bank in Southern Illinois, largest bank south of uh, Springfield. What was that bank called? Uh, Security Bank and Security Trust. Security Bank and Trust. And it sold to Old National Bank in Evansville, Indiana. I think it was 1989 or 90, something like that. But I grew up, you know, watching him bank entrepreneurs, and my dad's an entrepreneur too. But I grew up watching him bank these small businesses and some larger businesses too, and I watched him. Uh, uh, how he admired these entrepreneurs and how sometimes he would participate with them and and watching these things and as a kid as I'm watching this um, I had my lawn mowing business so I'd started mowing lawns when I was in seventh grade mm. so started with and so but I'm still watching this always watching these entrepreneurs grow their businesses down there oil companies or car dealerships or farmers or you know people starting you know stores or little manufacturing outfits stuff like that. So I would mow my yards and just collect the money, keep the money, keep the money. I remember I bought my first certificate of deposit. It was 1500 bucks, and it was in 19, I think it was 78. You want to guess what my interest rate was? 10%. Q, you want to guess? Um, well, when I did one in, when I was in college, it was like less than that. You know, it was like seven or eight. So I can only imagine probably a little bit higher. Well, this is back in the good old days of Jimmy Carter, and it was 15.9% for a CD. Wow. 15 point, I've actually still got the, the CD. Wow. 15, I've got a stack of them, and uh, that particular one, first one was 15.9%. Mm. But anyway, I grew up uh, mowing yards and doing that stuff and uh, learned, uh, you know, there being an oil and gas business, I learned that, you know, a lot of these entrepreneurs are making money in the oil and gas business. These are kind of wild and crazy guys. So... A friend of mine who I just saw uh, this weekend, uh, he's in a nursing home there now, 
Um, he's a preacher down there, but his side business was leasing oil and gas rights and then turning them, keeping an interest in it, an overriding interest. Wow. And, uh, you know, we were visiting one day at, at, a, at a picnic table at the county fair, and, uh, and we were talking about it. And he said, I can show you how to do it. And I was 17, I think. And so he showed me how to do it. We went out and we leased a piece of ground, and you know, from a, you know, 80 acres or something like that, leased the mineral rights and uh, turned it to another operator. They go out, they drill it. You have no, but no, you know, no real risk. Yeah. Um, we kept a 30 second override in it and hit a well and get a few bucks. Mm. And you take some of that money and I'd actually put up a little bit of my yard mowing money to, you know, to, <laughs> for the first one and then did that. So I kind of, you know, started really loving that business. And through that, I actually I started to get to know, um, well, I guess to back up a little bit, I would do these dances, these community, like teen dances at our community swimming pool down there. And I'd hire a band for like, you know, 50 or 60 bucks and then charge two bucks to get in and got the venue for free. And, That's right. You know, you'd pay a, an off-duty uh, cop down there, you know, 10 or 15 bucks for the night to watch out over the place. And so kind of got this little music bug, too, and used uh, a lot of the same bands that I, you know, continuously for 50, like I said, 50, 60 bucks. speaking my language. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah. a promoter too. You yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, there you go. All right. Yeah. All I'm right. guessing you're a Chicago guy. Your, your <laughs> club promoting was much sexier than my club promoting. To, there was the uh, local swimming pool. Yeah. I mean, the, the table service there was sneaking a bottle of uh, Southern Comfort into your, you know, back pocket or something. But, uh, a little Mad Dog 2020. Yeah. <laughs> strawberry Hill. Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. There you go. That's <laughs> wicked stuff there. Schlitz malt liquor. That was always one of our favorites, too, because they didn't take too much of that to send you over the edge. Oh, wow. Well, but uh, all, all Milwaukee for $2.50 oh, a case. <laughs> now you're talking my style here. <laughs> that and PBR was a thing. Now PBR is a thing again. Oh, yeah. But yeah. remember, Pass Blue Room was a big thing back then. How, but, so how cool is that to, to, to be around, to take advantage of a, a father that was around all these entrepreneurs, a father's entrepreneurial himself when bankers could be back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to to be a, to be able to sponge off all these entrepreneurs doing all different things and and for you as a young guy to understand out the value of that right how fun was that it was amazing and getting to watch these folks you know who the good guys were who the bad guys are what made the good guys the good guys what made the bad guys the bad guys mm-hmm. and to watch my mom and dad as a team it really might, reminds me a lot of you and Cheryl how you guys are just so tight and you take you know my dad who you know is great visionary great marketer, great people guy. This is always the big joke. Uh, and then my mom, who is, um, unless you know her, you don't see how her, she's got this amazingly big personality if you know her. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you would think, you know, just very quiet. But she's highly organized, highly, highly organized, everything to the T. I guarantee they've been married almost 60 years. I guarantee you she can tell you where the first nickel is that they made. And she can probably show you the first cancel, everything, first, everything. So the joke in the community was always that, you know, my dad ran the bank, grew the bank, was known as, actually was the president of the Illinois Bankers Association for a couple wow. of years. So, you know, for the whole state. And uh, he was be this well-known banker couldn't balance a checkbook. <laughs> it was life dependent on it. But then you got my mom, you know. So watching them work as an entrepreneurial team was yeah. really, 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 really interesting. Well, let, um, so I see here, just based off of what you said, if you can if you can elaborate a little more as far as what you learned through this time, because you, you had a landscaping business, had an oil business, and you was a promoter. It seems like in those three small businesses. It wasn't much of an oil business. It was, you know, going out leasing land and stuff. And then I eventually drilled a couple of wells on my gotcha. own with, with moderate success. So but, so I was going to ask, so with that being said, like what were probably some of the things that you've learned internally or just like that kind of helped you even to today, but ultimately back then to kind of create the foundation of entrepreneurship for yourself? Here was the big thing. And this, this comes into play, you know, from the beginning all the way through now. The biggest thing I found was networking. And I watched my dad in this little tiny town, Mount Carmel, Illinois, and I would watch him pick up the phone and he would call anyone to get their business. And I watched him steal business from big banks, <laughs> actually the bank they eventually sold to. Um, but he would he would call anybody. He had big clients up here in Chicago. He had uh, uh, Robert P. Gwynn, who became a good family friend. Uh, Mr. Gwynn, or not the close family friend, but a great acquaintance uh, who was the chairman of Sunbeam and Encyclopedia yeah. Britannica. Sure. He had a couple of big business guys up here that uh, he would lend. He was, to still, down so he there. was stealing business from anybody. Well, you know, care. Northern Trust was their was their correspondent bank up here, uh-huh. and so he would he would work uh, uh, he would make big loans, you know, down there, 
participate where he could and then upsell, you know, sell sure. the rest off up here to some of these big oh, banks. Cool. By doing that, he got to know people up here and then he would originate the loans down there and have them participate back up here. So, but I watched him, he would pick up the phone and call anybody. Um, I remember they were looking at acquiring a bank just north of our little town and uh, Texaco was the big, uh, big, they had a big refinery there, a little town called Lawrenceville, Illinois. And I remember my dad somehow getting through, I think through maybe Mr. Gwynn or somebody up here, uh, ended up getting a hold of the chairman of Texaco to find out what the longevity, if they were going to keep that thing. And, and the guy wouldn't comment other than to say, I likely wouldn't buy that bank. <laughs> but I mean, here's a little, you know, started out as a little tiny, you know, farm town banker. And, you know, he's got this amazing network yeah. because he wasn't afraid to pick up the phone. No so, fear. That's good. So no you, fear. Yeah. So if you, if yeah. you watch Kent today, I, I've been around Kent in some, in front of a lot of groups and stuff, and it's fun to watch because this guy lights up the room when he walks in big, you know, always, as you see today, right now, huge smile on your face, always, always like engaged with whoever you're talking to. I don't care if it's the bus boy or it's the, or it's the, you know, the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. Kent is just as engaged with both of those. <laughs> yeah, but Gary, it's, I, I think all of us as, as entrepreneurs and, and QU too, I think to a certain degree we're all that way. And it's because we're curious about the people. We're really yeah. – like I'm like really curious about, you know – People, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't. It doesn't make any difference where they are on the. No, you're right. Economic the story spectrum. that I'm just, the story that know. bus boy, right, yeah. bus girl, might be as exciting as the story of that CEO. If, yeah. if you really dig into them, right. Yeah. Which is really, really fun when you can get to know people like that, right? It was funny. Uh, Monday night we were in Nashville and uh, had Pence in for a fundraiser down there, and they had a lot of the local, you know, uh, not local, but the statewide politicians, you know, from Tennessee and stuff like that. And they had this uh, fundraiser out at a barn at a car barn beautiful car barn where they had all these uh classic cars and stuff like that so great crowd and all that kind of stuff you know who the last person to leave was i mean we were all kind of in the same group the last person to leave marcia blackburn who's a fantastic wonderful senator seen her husband chuck and marcia's sitting there drinking coffee with the with the servers and all that Mm -hmm. because she you know she's that type of person like any of us um really interested in people and here she is a sitting u.s senator and her husband's waiting on her. We're out, Chuck and I are out there joking and stuff because she's in there and they're just sitting there talking and, you know, and, and it has nothing. She, you know, those people weren't, it wasn't just because they were constituents. She just, yeah. they were, they loved her and she loved them. That's awesome. So no, yeah, I, I think you have to do that. No, I, and, and, and the best networkers are those that are usually first to get there, last to leave. And, and, yep. uh, you know, I, and, and I see that in you and it's fun to watch, you know, because uh, again, you're, you're going to meet so many people that, that you affect, if you can affect their lives just a little bit, or they remember you by something positive, they'll spread, they'll spread the good news about Kent and, 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 and uh, how cool that uh, Kent guy was, right? Or, or Marsha. You know what they say? They say, cause right? he was hanging out with Gary. He had to have something that. going on there. I can believe that one. No, but when you, when you, when you look at uh, the relationships that are built after, you know, after hours, everybody leaves and there's those few people left. I can't, you know, we've sat and talked into the, into the wee hours of the morning a, yeah, a bunch, bunch of times in the, in the, in the times we've been hung out because it's, it, there's so much to talk about. It's like, we can sleep anytime. We will catch up on that sleep, but we well, need to get through this, this next conversation. And think about our evenings that, you know, a lot of this, uh, you know, takes place down in Florida, but think about this, the wide variety of people. I go back and look at the pictures over the years, the, sitting at that table there in the corner and the, the variety of people sitting at that yeah. table. And it's always different. <laughs> every year it changes out and every evening, because you have several evenings during the, I mean, it's just an amazing variety. And think yeah. about the stuff that we learn. I'm sure they learn a little bit from us mm-hmm. too, but the stuff that we learn and the contacts we make and, and how that spreads your network, opportunities for business, opportunity for public service. There's a lot of different things uh, that you do by networking and just, you know, hanging out and being around. Absolutely. <clears throat> so when you when you think about that, you know, learning to network mm-hmm. as a, at a young age and, and all that, you know, it took you into, uh, you know, work, working until you went to college, went to college. and, and Very briefly. Okay. Talk, so, about, talk about that. You know, uh, College was never like a massive priority for me. My, my thought was, you know, growing up as, you know, young Republican and, you know, being involved in the state uh, student council politics here in Illinois and and uh, politics overall. Um, my thought was, OK, I'll go to undergrad, then I'll go to law school and then I'll run for the a state Senate seat down at the, well, at the time was the 54th state Senate. Senate. I'll do that as soon as I get out of college. But, you know, I started making really good money as an entrepreneur. And so kind of the trade-off with my dad was, because at this time, you know, I was still 
had a little bit of oil income and uh, still had all my lawn mowing money in the bank and stuff. <laughs> and the trade-off to my, I was like, you know, I really want to pursue. I'd met some people in the entertainment business and had started kind of doing some things in the music business. Nothing big, but I, I wanted to pursue it. And so the trade-off my dad and mom was go to Wabash Valley College, which is one of the great community colleges here in Southern Illinois. Go to Wabash, rack up a few hours, and then head on to, you know, Champaign or Carbondale or somewhere like that. And, you know, I got about eight months in and I loved my college experience and was already doing the state senate or I mean the uh, student senate thing there and stuff like that. But I really loved the entrepreneurial aspect. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'd, I'd watched my mom and dad, you know, as entrepreneurs or, or and dad in particular banking entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I'd watch that. And it's kind of like you, Gary. You know, you grew up uh, like I did, too. You're working hard. You had a good, a great role model as a, as a, you know, parent watching that entrepreneurialism. And I kind of felt like, you know what, I'm sitting here in class in college, and these are great teachers, too. But I kind of, those are things that are so, I know that stuff. And there's other things that I know. There's things I, things I still need to know, but I can take those classes individually, which I've mm-hmm. done over the years, and... I just didn't feel like that was my path. I kind of felt like my path was I wanted to pursue uh, making money and building a business. And uh, that's what I did. So stru- the structured, structured learning stuff, basically, uh, you felt wasn't for you? That you could, you could no. learn as you go and Not my step thing. outside? And, and, you know, and I think nowadays it's apparent that that's a really tough thing. You know, you got kids going to college, spending a fortune, coming out with debt. You talk about You're one of the leaders, actually. You... The, the job networks thing that you and Bernie Marcus started. I mean, that, that's one of those things, or job creators network, where you guys are now working back, or a lot of folks are working back into, you know, more entrepreneurial practical training so that people can actually learn the basics, learn all the fundamentals, and then get out, you know, get out and get into business for themselves or get into business with an entrepreneur or be mentored as an employee of an entrepreneur. And uh, you think about the value of that, and they come out of that, with, we're talking to breakfast this morning, no debt, great practical skills and all mm-hmm. that stuff. My dad, for instance, this was a, a great lesson. He probably wish he hadn't taught me, but uh, he went to, he was already working at the bank. He and my mom had gotten married and he didn't have his college degree. He had been in the army for a couple of years, didn't have his college degree, but he was already rising quickly at the bank. Mm-hmm. But back then they felt like, you know what, you have to have a college degree. So he, he and mom worked to pay for college, but dad went to college and he, t- he, he will tell you, this is one of the greatest secrets of his he went to college at night at what's now uh, University of Evansville. It used to be called Evansville College. Mm-hmm. He went at night and he took finance and banking courses and, and things like that. Um, the secret, he says, to his success and rapid rise was the teachers were actual bankers, actual accountants, wow. actual attorneys. Daytime, you get the professors. Mm-hmm. These are people who are already, you know, vice presidents of banks, presidents, you know, real, real world experience, real in this space. world experience. So he, he got a couple of things from that. One, he got the real world, the real, you know, from the textbook. There's always a massive difference in textbook and reality. He got that, but he also got um, contacts. He got amazing contacts. Sure. So when when he started to rise. Uh, he had these contacts all over the tri-state area, you know, way ahead of anybody else. Cool. So um, I kind of felt like that was kind of my thing, too, and yours as well. I mean, you know, you grew up watching, watching an entrepreneur and being in an entrepreneurial environment. Um, all of a sudden, that sitting there listening to somebody telling you theoretically how it could work, mm-hmm. or right? you sit there and go, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I want to hear from the horse's mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to watch it. I want to watch the horse. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what that's what Q focuses on with True Mentors on a daily basis, right? Putting putting entrepreneurs and leaders together with young leaders that want to be yeah. you know, strong leaders. And yeah, I've just cool. I've just never been a person who um, I always say a lot of people are theory driven. I'm result driven. You know, yes. lot, we're around a lot of well-meaning people who give us opinionated information, but they never did what they're talking about. So, yep. you know, kudos to your dad. And I, it's good to see that that shared experience trickled down to you to like get real world experiences around you. Cause then you get real results. You yeah, know? you do. And you know, you never have to, uh, 
you never have to rely on theory. Theory is always the unknown. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not that I mean, being entrepreneurs, we always come across things. <laughs> Even though that's the unknown. Didn't see too. that one coming, you know, <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah. but, uh, <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. But when you, when you, you know, with, you know, being an entrepreneur and if you got a great network of entrepreneurs, you know, if you get in a pinch or you look like you're heading toward a pinch or you look at a growth opportunity, if you don't, don't know quite what to do, you can go to real world people and say, Absolutely. you know, hey, what I, do you think about this? Have yeah. you seen this before? Hey, man, what do you I, know? I know Kent got, uh, you know, beat up by this one i'm going to call him and, t- and talk exactly. to about this exactly I mean, I'm, I'm going to avoid this because i remember what happened to kent when that when, when he made this decision i'm not making that decision let me tell you it's something. the shared experiences right that that are golden it is and can you imagine like if you're facing either a big business challenge or a big business opportunity and it's risky either way no matter how you go now you're going to call you know somebody at the uh, you know university of illinois who's taught out of a textbook for 30 years and never probably had never even owned a share of of a real entrepreneurial startup or something like that. Or are you going to call Gary Rabine? Well, I'm going to call Rabine because, you know, you've been in the trenches. Us guys have been in the trenches and we've got the battle scars. We've seen it all. No, we haven't seen it all. Hopefully we have lots more to come, but you know, we've got that, that you're, you're a, gonna, real, a realistic, you know, take on stuff. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to call your friend that's from the industry you're thinking of, you're, you're dealing with, or, or, or if it's banking, you're dealing with a banking issue in your own business, you're going to talk to a friend of yours that's a, that that's comes from the banking side that has a lot of experience there to share with you. Right. If, if I'm, if I'm going to jump into another market across the country and, and one of the services we provide, same thing, I'm going to find out who in that market do I know yep. that, that can tell me about the culture of that market. Right. So these are all shared experiences that create our success. I can't learn that from a book. I can't learn that that new market, the culture of that new market from a book, right? I, I got to actually go there, understand right. the people, share, let these people share with me their experiences on, on what that culture is about different than my culture, right? But you know, just what you said, I mean, you know, the, the, the growth of our networks uh, really, really translate into the growth of our, our the success of our, our own growth and our businesses and personally, because, man, if we can, if we can share experiences with those that have been success, successful in other industries, other markets, or the challenges we have in front of us, uh, you know, for, you can't lose in my opinion. It's true. And, you know, to go back to a point you made a minute ago, you definitely do uh, want to call your people in the area or nationwide to have experience in that area or in that you know particular uh, area of expertise. Mm-hmm. But you know something I love to do, and I found this over the years to be even more and more valuable, is ask people that are kind of on the peripheral of it, that aren't like right in the middle mm. of it, because they can give you that <laughs> that fifty thousand foot sure. view. Takes you know you always want to have the fifty thousand foot, view. but having a third party fifty thousand foot view. And then deep dive into that way you get kind of a practical, sure. oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But, you know, if I was thinking about this, a lot of times you miss uh, what's the old saying? You can't see the forest or the trees. That's true. Yeah, a lot of times uh, we, we live down in the forest. And a lot right. of times if you ask a couple of people outside the forest, mm-hmm. you get some really interesting answers. So. Like, like, like if you're playing football, you're the quarterback. You got the coach on the sideline. But you're talking about the coach from the press box. It's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's a good deal. So, exactly out of, right. out, um, so after your tough, hard eight months of college. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the, the one, one of them, of course, I've, I've been blessed, you know, to have amazing educators. You know, we had this, you know, great public school system down there. I mean, a little county, you know, rural county school system and that little community college. But, you know, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned uh, happened in one afternoon at that community college. What was that? And, uh, you know, my entire career my my real big you know my my money career has been media and media is is strictly you know taking a message figuring out how to craft that message and then getting it out there whether you're trying to elect somebody or whether you're trying to sell a product which is what we do you know we do a lot of television and radio and now digital and stuff like that where you have to craft messages you know i've always been a big consumer of media. Even as a kid, I used to read the newspaper and, you know, dad would have the Wall Street Journal and I'd read that. Didn't understand a lot of it, but I'd read it. But I was sitting out there at community college one day and I was trying to write a report. And I had this, uh, this uh, teacher, uh, Della Marie Yates. And it seemed like she was a hundred at the time. She actually just passed away about five years ago at 99 or 98, something like mm-hmm. that. But she was just great. Just one of these fabulous ballsy methodist women i mean she was just fantastic and uh i was really stuck trying to write this thing and i i was never a very good writer when i was a kid you know when when i would when i was in uh you know class where you'd have to write a report creative, or whatever creative writing yeah or whatever. well even just having to write a uh 
I was never any good at it. And uh, I was stuck on the, I can't think what the topic was. And she said, are you having a problem? I said, yeah. And I told her what the deal was. She said, you're having trouble writing? And I said, yeah. She said, how can you have trouble writing? I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I know you like to talk. She goes, I hear you. (laughs) She goes, "Uh, if you can talk, she goes, you You can can write. write. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you know what? Just start, you know, tell, and she, whatever the subject was, she said, what do you know about this? And she said, just tell me. Mm-hmm. And I started telling her. She goes, okay, great. And then she, um, now she said, now just write it down. And see, any time from now on, just write it down as you would, you know, talk sure. it in your head and write it down. And don't worry about how it sounds or the semantic. Don't worry about that. Just write it down. You can go back and correct it later. Just write it down. I blew through, I don't know, a 10-page report in a matter of like an hour. Uh, you know, of course, it's long before he had laptops to do them. Blew through that. And then all of a sudden, writing became this amazing thing, writing and messaging and stuff like hmm. that. And that's really why I enjoy media so much. I love crafting. It all messages. started there with that one conversation that you yeah. had with you. Said, one hey, conversation. Chill out, dude. Just just talk on yeah. paper. Yeah. I, I mean, my big mouth had big, paid off. Use that, that big point. mouth of yours. Exactly. It and, paid off for, and, you know, the one afternoon. And, but shut it. Shut it. And just, <laughs> yeah. you know, big, big mouth has to work in your brain. Exactly. And you're good. Inter, yeah. Inner inner conversation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. So after, so after, uh, after college, what was next? Well, I was, you know, had, was already in the, um, uh, dabble in the entertainment business a little bit. And, you know, I had some oil checks coming in and, uh, I mowed yards up until into college too. And um, I say I say college as though I've graduated Harvard. <laughs> I've been away six months of college, uh, but uh, uh, but I was down on spring break in 1985 uh, in a bar that I was not old enough to be in down in Florida, and uh, ran across this guy who had had a moderately okay hit record called Key Largo. It's a guy by the name of Bertie Higgins, and uh, you know he was a great guy funny as can be owned this bar and uh we hit it off and he was in the music business he'd been a drummer for tommy row and the romans like i said it had this this song that had done you know relatively well and i'd heard it on the radio for a long long time mm-hmm. and uh so we started hitting it off and we we uh he was a funny dude and um he ended up coming up and actually looking at oil stuff and he had a few bucks and so i from him i got to know a lot of folks in the record business you know back then and when in 1986, the price of oil went from you know, like a 30 bucks down to like eight bucks and went to, went to nothing. And, you know, the oil checks were not there. Um, I didn't have a lot of debt, but I had enough that it worried me. And uh, he said, why don't you come and uh, work with me? And I said, what? He goes, yeah, why don't you come work with me? He goes, you know, I, I haven't had a manager in forever. He goes, I'm doing a lot of road dates. I don't, I don't know. I know nothing about money. I know nothing about promoting. So I literally, a you know, teenager, kind of started managing him. Didn't know what I was doing. Matter of fact, if, if you ever talk with him, he'll tell you the story. He's still one of my like, best, dearest buddies. Uh, he's, uh, he said, I literally almost ran off the road and killed us both at one point. And I said, when was that? And he goes, that's when we were driving between Atlanta and Nashville. And, you, and I'd, I'd already signed you as my manager. And you looked up to me and you said, Bertie? Can you explain the difference exactly what the difference is between a manager and a producer? <laughs> he said, I about drove the van off the road. After he hired you. After he hired me. <laughs> but, uh, but we had a great run together and, uh, you know, you know, and started, you know, with him and, and started the music publishing company. How old was Bernie? And you were like 19 years old at the I time? I was and 1985. Bernie? So I would have been 19. And so Bernie would have been 35 or 36. He just turned 73. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh. So, yeah, so, so, I, so he, was, he was a young guy with, and, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, for the music business, he was probably an old guy, but okay, you know, music, I was yeah, a yeah. young guy <laughs> and, uh, but you know, we had a lot of fun and we did some things that were interesting. He was old enough that, you know, no record label would really give him any heat cause he hadn't had a hit for, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. and he was a tropical singer, kind of a, kind of a, he always calls himself the Walmart Jimmy Buffett, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, the, like, you know, the igloo cooler of Jimmy Buffett's, <laughs> uh, but, um, anyway, he, uh, uh, 
so we got creative and we started doing like we did an island hopping tour one time and we did all these interesting things that were, you know, great money things, but didn't require a big national touring company because we couldn't have gotten one. Didn't require a record label because we really couldn't get the backing of mm-hmm. one. Uh, we would play these cool beach venues like the uh, the Florabama. Have you guys ever been to the Florabama? No. It's on the Alabama Great Club. A buddy of mine, Joe Gilchrist, owns it down there. Still, He still has it. It's right on the Florida-Alabama state line on the beach. Okay. Known for its uh, annual interstate mullet toss. <laughs> so you uh, you go down there, you drink a whole lot of cheap beer, and you take mullets, you know, the fish, and you, mm. there's a line drawn uh, in sand on the state line, and it's like a discus. You know, you you how far can you throw the mullet? I, I was I was th- thinking you're throwing, you know, these guys with mu- these mm, hill guys. With well, there mullets. was a lot of them, and there still <laughs> right. are to this day. I guarantee you. So you got is... you got kind of a combination <laughs> mullet squared going on, down dude. There. I hadn't even thought about it. You're right though. Yeah, it, mullet squared. To this day, I bet that's one of the greatest collection of people with mullets. <laughs> On the planet, but it's you know this club's been there. The place has been there forever and ever and ever. It's always packed out. It's been taken out since I've known Joe. It's been taken out by I think three hurricanes and totally rebuilt. And uh, remember back when we first went there, back in uh, I think 1985 was probably the first time I walked in that place. Uh, The the literally the building is on the state line. The front door. Uh, half the front door was in Alabama, half was in Florida, and you they had these two pay phones, cool. one on this side, one on that side. One had the was in Alabama. Yeah. And so people would come in there and they would take pictures of themselves making long distance phone calls to themselves. <laughs> now you tell me that's not redneck. And I was one of them that did I was one of the first ones in line to do it. So like, I gotta do that too. Well, I go it's back like a to, Polaroid picture. Yeah, I go back to eighty five. That's that was about the, the one of the last years I, I sported my mullet. I got married that year, but I remember I had had a mullet that <laughs> I had, a, I, had a, I had a, you know, a king mullet, and you know, before that, and probably 80, 82, 3, 4, I had this big, big flat top. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, I had a flat top and the oh, mullet dude. in the back. So I, you know, I had business up on top, and what do they call that? How do they say that? <laughs> party in the front. But, well, I, I think it was more party in the back, you know, a little business, <laughs> business up front and party in the back I had going on. But then uh, by the time I got married, you know, Cheryl had, had uh, gotten that uh, tamed a little more, but still had the mullet in 85. Did, did Cheryl make you cut it off before the wedding pictures, or did you just hide it? No, she she did, she did uh, it was still going on, but she could take pictures without seeing it too much, you know. Oh, my gosh. But, but then I messed everything up, and I grew the first and only mustache I, I've had in my life for our wedding day. Really? Oh, oh yeah. man. I never had never had a mustache only in my life except that that you know that time. Did you have one of those ones that came with down like that? Can no, like a, not a Fu Manchu. No? This, this is uh, this is more of a uh, this is more like a Miami Vice like mustache. Gotcha. Okay. Did you have the glasses? No, didn't didn't have. Did glasses? I, I had a members only jacket. Though. Oh, okay. All right. Tom Selleck. Of but anyway, you just think of '85 for sure. That on the beach that when you were there at, at uh, oh, yeah. floor what do you call Floribama? The Floribama. Floribama yep. definitely mullet squared. You got the mullets is... in the water and the mullets on the beach. Yeah, those venues like that. Of course, they're still a lot of fun. But I mean, those places like that are so you know so laid back, and you don't know if you're talking to a bazillionaire next door to you or just some redneck who's about to fall off the bar stool or a combination of both. <laughs> Boy, that's, you know, that's, and which is you know, that's and, even better. And you know how you and I are kind of the same way. Q, I'm assuming you're the same way too. Those kind of joints are the best, yeah. you know. Yeah. And by the way, those talk about great entrepreneurs. Those guys make money hand over fist because they, they, do. they don't have to put it. Doesn't have to be fancy. Nothing, you know. It's nothing great in there. It's just yeah. everybody going to have just a good the environment. Time. The environment helps out with it, and yeah. once you get it, and people know about it, they hear the buzz of it. It kind of, yeah. it kind of does its own thing. You, you all having all of this fun. I'm just realizing. I was three months old. When y'all were I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> don't even want to hear it, dude. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't. Uh, huh. 85. I was just born. So, um, okay. So, so then uh, from there, okay, you got your 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 help. So I got your Birdie, and yeah, so I got Birdie having fun with that. Um, uh, and that went on for quite some time. And I picked up some other acts, and I became affiliated with Lowry Music in Atlanta. Bill Lowry. and Bill, really, really interesting guy. Great guy. Passed away about I don't know. 10, 12 years ago, but he became one of my great mentors on the entertainment side. And that, that's what took me full time out of the, out of the, uh, you know, the Midwest and, you know, down to Atlanta and kind of growing this little music publishing company and growing a little management company. And you know, we found some great acts, you know, we found Edwin McCain we found him down in, uh, this, uh, Edwin's had a, you the name you may not recognize, but all the music you'll recognize. If you Google it and listen to the music, well, you'll let's, know. Let's sing a couple of them. Uh, I'll be is a great big one. Go. one of the, I'll be da 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 da. This Google. I I don't want to do. I don't want to. I don't want to crash everybody's iPhone. Give us one. Give us another one. We've probably heard. Uh, 
Well, I'll be it. Can you not? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting on trying to get this one out for you so I can like. Uh, anyway, so so but, but many many good great ones. Yeah, he had he had I don't know eight or ten you know top ten hits, and he's That's just awesome. a great great guy. And I you know. Uh, Birdie and I had been down playing a golf tournament down in Hilton Head, and I met this crazy, crazy as hell DJ down there, this lady. Uh, her name was Carol Cavanaugh, and she she ran a radio station. It was a celebrity golf tournament. Matter of fact, in our foursome that that uh, particular weekend, uh, Leslie Niels, remember him, the funny uh, in the like in the Naked Gun movies. Yeah, 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 he's awesome. And uh, so anyway. Um, so I meet this DJ down. She's funny as can be, and she's there. Somebody gets in this plastic shot glass throwing thing across the bar, mm. and she had happened to wing me in the head with them. Like, That's how we met. Anyway, she finds this guy Edwin. She calls me up. I kept calling me in Atlanta. You got to come and see this guy. You got to come and see this guy. Finally, drove over to Hilton Head for the weekend. Found this guy and uh, signed him to the publishing company and uh, found him some good you know folks we could, that could help manage and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of grew the company a little bit like that. And then, uh, yeah, just weird networking things. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so the music publishing business was pretty good. And um, uh, the music management side was really good. And I found this little niche, though, as you know, traveling around and doing these markets. Bertie and I had been over to Branson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so we found this little niche. Or I found what I felt was a little niche in there. We started buying some little properties in Branson, Missouri, back when it was just starting to come on as a kind of a cool tourist destination. But, you know, you had this amazing, amazing... Have you guys been to Branson, by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, you know. So, uh, I found this this market to be so enchanting because it's in the middle of nowhere yet there's all this activity at the time i think there was five million tourists here coming now there's about seven and a half or so coming and um uh i was had you know i'd been there do been doing quite a bit of business helping some of those acts that are there get their act get their deals done and stuff and there were some bigger acts that were coming in that were a lot of country of acts so, right? a lot of country <clears throat> acts like a lot of my buddies so mickey gilly uh roy clark roy passed away um johnny lee uh, of course, Mel Tillis was already there. Mm-hmm. Mel is actually who kind of brought us in there. You know, we helped structure a deal, you know, for Doc Severinsen and some different folks like that and helped structure a lot of these different deals down there. Doc, that was a funny story, too. Doc ended up making a fortune on the deal and they never opened the theater. His, the, the people that put up the money, great family, uh, uh, booked him, put, a, put the money up, big billionaire family out of Texas. And then the family trust got into a lawsuit with each other. And they called and they just told Doc, we're just going to give you the money. We, they did, Doc didn't, he goes, well, no, I'll just give it back to you. And they said, no, we're just going to release it to you. Doc, <laughs> Doc, Doc's wow. like, are you serious? Oh, he was wow. like, no, you don't need to do that. But wow. anyway, some wild, you know, wild deals going on. Anyway, so I, so I'm down there learning that market a little bit and then also learning the uh, similar markets like Pigeon Forest, Tennessee and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I had been to Orlando as well. And I noticed in Orlando, this is kind of where my the building value of my life kind of took off like building some actual wealth. But in or in Orlando, they had this little tourist radio thing that was strictly for the Disney parks. I think they called it Disney park radio or mm. it wasn't Disney radio, that kids network that you see out there. It was like Disney park radio or something. And you tuned to some, I think it was an expanded band like 1660 AM or 1610 AM. And it was about a 20 minute loop of, Hey, welcome to Disney Parks. And it was only in the parking lots of the Disney Parks. And oh. At the time, there were only, what, two or three Disney Parks. Yeah, yeah. And I think they got five. But uh, but I'm listening to this. And like I said, 20 minutes of welcome to uh, Disney Parks. And da-da-da, today, we've got this going on and that going on. And stop by the magic shop on the Main Street or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. All these little ads and kind of fun. You could tell it was canned and really, really, uh, you know, just, you know. Kind of dry. It was dry, but, you know. But... I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So I, a friend of mine, uh, I saw at Christmas that following year, and I, was, I said, you know, that's a really interesting thing. I said, did anybody listen to that? He goes, everyone listens to it. Mm. I'm like, really? He goes, well, think about it. He goes, people are coming in there. They're spending a fortune on their vacation. They're coming in. They want to know everything that's going sure. on, and they're stuck in traffic out there in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. They, they want to hear it. So it's a 20-minute loop, and he kind of told me how they did it. I said, wow, that's really interesting. So I started thinking, you know what? This could be an interesting thing for a market like Branson, Missouri. Mm. The only difference is Branson is a massive market with with a whole bunch of little businesses sure. where Disney is a massive market with just itself. 
you know, and then there's some other little side businesses, but you know, Disney was big enough that it was his own little thing. So I thought, how interesting would it be hmm. if I, I ought to send you over the, the, the old brochures I on lo- this stuff. I love it. So I thought, how interesting would it be to actually um, buy a radio station that covered a good part of that area, put up a bunch of billboards, and I, what I did is I took, uh, if you if you say it's a circle like this, I chopped it into 60 one-minute blocks. So that okay. one hour. So that one hour is a circle. So then, okay, what I'll do is I'll put some, I'll make it sound live. We use, use what was called a selector system where you could actually make stuff sound live so it would switch, it would, the same hour never sounded the same. <laughs> I'll put 45 second, 40, 45 one-minute commercials in it and I'll sell those off for the month. So mm-hmm. you buy it by the month. And I'll put some comedy things in there and some other elements, you know, like we, we could put current weather in and different things like that. The weather would just fire off, you know, automated weather from AccuWeather. And so, and I'll make it sound live and entertaining. I put a lot of comedy in it. <laughs> and uh, this, I, want, I think people would listen to this. So I went out, I knew a lot of people in Branson. So I went, I wish I had my, my old sales package here for this because it was just the <laughs> dumbest looking thing ever. But I sold 45 one-minute spots for $1,500 a month each. Wow. So you paid $1,500 a month and you, um, and you were on at least yeah. once an hour. And we month, sold it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was really good. And we paid $130,000 for the radio station. The radio station was based in Springfield, Missouri. Springfield was because... 85% of the traffic that came into Branson uh, came through Springfield. So I had billboards up coming in. The radio station reached about 45 minutes outside of Springfield. So I had billboards coming in from where you would come in from Kansas City, 45 minutes north yep. of Springfield, 45 minutes north. So, you know, just east of Joplin, uh, west of Lebanon, Missouri. Everyone piled into Springfield, which, by the way, Bass Pro was there. They were a great sure. advertiser. Johnny Morris, who I just love that. He and his sister, Carol, I love those guys. And... Uh, they would come into uh, Springfield and then drop down to Branson. So I had him in the car for about an hour and a half or two hours. I also knew that by the time they got into Branson, they wouldn't be listening to this stuff. It would be then they're looking and, yeah, you know. Sure. Uh, so anyway, I thought, you know, that could be a really very inexpensive very, very inexpensive way for attractions to advertise. And the fact that, you know, we already have some empirical data, not great data, but, you know, talking to some of the Disney people down there about their, about, you know, the tune-in rates sure. of that particular radio station, I thought, you know what, it's not a huge risk. Like I said, I paid 130000 bucks for the radio station and the billboards, I, I don't know, maybe 15000 a month or something like that. For all of them. And for all of them, Yeah. Yeah, they were you know between one hundred and fifty dollars and four hundred fifty dollars for the really good ones, you know, and a month. And so we did that and went out. You know, initially the first couple of months it was a little tougher sell because it's oh, no one's ever done that before. Yeah, and it's like yeah, we haven't like you know, heard that. And uh, it's like yeah, no duh. You know? <laughs> that's why I'm doing so, it. Yeah, that's why I'm <laughs> doing it here, dude. So uh, so anyway, uh, so. But I got, you know, I don't know, 20 people right out of the box. Ones that were friends of mine, like, you know, Gilly, um, you know, Jim Stafford, uh, some local restaurants. Um, you know, so I found this to be a really interesting uh, pitch, one, to kind of hone the pitch. But two, something that I thought could be effective. And it turned out it was. Hmm. So what we did, the so, program. So this radio station bought for $130,000. You, you, at this point, you got a $800 million a year income, uh, uh, yeah. re- revenues business. Yeah. With uh, 15, you know, one hundred fifty two, you know, $200,000 of marketing and billboards a year, right? Yeah. Uh, and we also did like rack cards and brochures and things like that. So, but the margins were just sinfully fat. Were you able to do any more than that? What, so on that, that were, yeah. revenue is more than that million dollars or so? So here's what and, we did. What other stuff, yeah. Here is, here is, I mean, this is literally where stuff took off. So then there's this uh, guy up there. He's dead now. I really liked him as a character uh, who was a, a timeshare guy, an old-fashioned timeshare oh, guy. Sure. And, you know, timeshare, a lot of the big part of their business is what they call OPCs or people that are coming into town. You, we've all been there, right? You go to Branson, you go to Orlando, you go to any of these markets and hey, uh, you want some free tickets? Vegas, same thing. Want some sure. free tickets? Uh, oh, yeah, it's just need 90 minutes of your time. And he said, you know what? He said, uh, 
he said, I'd like to buy some ads on your radio station. I said, what do you want to do? You know, uh, he said, well, he said, uh, you know, we have the timeshare resort and this and that. And, and uh, you know, we, maybe we could draw some people in with it. And so I started thinking about it. I said, let's think about this for a minute. Rather than buy the ads, how about if we partner with a, you know, find a location up somewhere between Springfield and Branson. And every 15 mm-hmm. seconds or every 10 or 15 minutes, we put an ad in. I'll send you some of these, Gary. They are as cheesy, but it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And. Hey folks, on your you're on your way to Branson. Matter of fact, I can almost repeat the course. Hey folks, you're on your way to Branson. You know you want to make sure you got your best hotel uh, rates, your your cabins, your tickets, your show attractions, all that kind of stuff. Stop at the ticket uh, Branson Ticket Outlet and Welcome Center. It's conveniently located on your way. You know between Springfield and Branson on Highway 65 at this exit. Blah blah blah. Stop in here. We started doing that, and we people were blowing in. They're just coming in. We offered uh, free soft drinks, coffee. And uh, eventually some other stuff, but uh, well, it's some not stuff that, you can't no, talk not, about. no, not that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for the really hard customers, we would. But those are really difficult to get them over the edge to get them signed up. We would take them to the back room, but uh, no, we would. We offered these, uh, you know, stuff like that. Well, families would come in; they had a great time. The timeshare uh, company staffed it really well with very friendly people, and they would do. They would book. Hundreds of tours a month out of them, and we wow. got paid by the tour. Wow! Cool. So now, so you took a little risk with them, but the reward was yeah, well, the upside reward was yeah, it was crazy. airtime risk, and yeah. you know we had some avails, so it worked. Yeah. And um, so then, um, this this and that went on for a year or two. This particular timeshare guy got into some financial stuff and ended up partnering with somebody else or selling. So we hooked up with another guy who's become one of my dearest friends, also a great mentor. And this is going back to nineteen ninety now or something like that okay. uh, a guy by the name of cj permy down in down in uh branson same thing timeshare so guy so, Q, it sounds like we go to branson this guy could hook us up <laughs> real entertainment and, you will you know, love you know if that. you go to branson we'll have a great time I'll, I, great i've been time. there once and we had a lot of fun and i, I love the lakes it's, down there and all that so we're gonna do it again and i'm gonna be coming to calling on my buddy table Kansas. rock lake is one of the greatest lakes yeah, it's uh, awesome, yeah. in the midwest i mean because yeah. it, it gets nice and warm in the winter i mean in the summer it gets nice and warm it's beautiful it's a core of engineers there's also lake. bull shoals is that bull the, shoals that's the is big fantastic. that's the long lake that goes all in arkansas Right. Well, they both are. So Table Rock starts, it's a horseshoe. It starts in Arkansas. It's where they dammed up the White River. Starts in Arkansas, goes up into Missouri, yeah. and then back down to Arkansas again. Yeah. So, yeah. It's cool. So, and it, it's a beautiful Beautiful area. waters, cliff, cliff diving all over yeah. the place. You can see your feet. Aubrey, you know, I, my 12-year-old and I, we were down just, I don't know, would have been in July, I guess, the... Uh, right before 4th of July, we were down, you know, hanging mm-hmm. out and in the lake. And it's just... That's, it is it's beautiful. Gorgeous. All right, part one of this podcast was awesome, but next week is going to be amazingly awesome. You're going to love it. Stay tuned next week for our second part of this podcast at Ditch Digger CEO. See ya! If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.